0: Hi, I'm Emma from Australia, and I love the way that stories bring us together.
1: That's Emma from M24. This week, we're diving into her story on Humans of Minerva. Welcome to Humans of Minerva, a podcast about all the wonderful people in the Minerva community. I'm Leo, and today I'm sitting down with Emma Tam from M24. Hey, Emma. Hey, Leo. Thanks for joining us. It's great to have you here.
0: I think I'm really excited to be here.
1: Yeah. I So, do you think it makes sense to open with you explaining Collinwood's theory of artistic expression? Because I feel like you might be referencing it <laughs> a lot throughout this
0: podcast. Yes. Yeah. Right now it's a very defining kind of principle of my life, so that would make you a <laughs> yeah. Okay. So better. Okay. Collingwood was a British philosopher who wrote about the theory of art as expression. And so his idea is that it is through the artistic process that we come to become conscious of the emotions in our head. And so to him, before we embark upon this process of artistic production, we have this like bundle of emotions in our mind. And I think of it as this like tangled up ball of string. And it is through this artistic process that we become conscious of the emotion. To him, this is like the way we untangle all the thoughts and feelings in our mind. And obviously his theory is a lot more nuanced and for more detail, take AH166. It's about artistic communication from page to practice. But to me, some really key parts of his theory are the role of the audience as collaborator and the way that they enable the artist to finish this artistic process. And also, the role of medium and how we express ourselves differently across different mediums.
1: Do you have an example of this theory applied to a specific piece of art? Because you're very, this is very influential on you, right? This, this theory?
0: Yeah. I think about it all the time as (laughs) anyone who spends any time with me knows I can honestly like untangle an application of it to any piece of art that I could think Mm. of. But to me, Collingwood feels most real when I am writing or tattooing. Those are my two favorite mediums at the moment. And so I love to think about the application of his theory differently across those two mediums. So, for me, for example, with writing, writing is the primary way in which I understand and perceive the world, my place in it, my relationships to others, everything that means the most to me. And so the example that springs to mind is a story that I've been working on about my mom who passed away almost two years ago now, and I think it's through writing this story that I've really become conscious of the emotions being her passing and everything that's tangled up with that for me, and I've had a lot of realizations about my childhood, my relationship with her, my relationship with other people in my life, the impact of traveling, the impact on home, all of these, like inextricable concepts i've been able to slowly untangle through writing and i don't think without writing i would have really reached these realizations so clearly Yeah.
1: but yeah so you find have you tried other forms of art as this because because it sounds like you're using art as a way of dealing through emotions right
0: yeah yeah and that- I've been thinking a lot about the connection between trauma and art recently as well. In AH166, we watched this clip from the comedian Hannah Gadsby, and she has this incredible bit in it about the assumed way that art stems from trauma and I guess the essential nature of trauma in art. And I think that's a stigma that she and I am very determined to understand because I think although there is a very strong connection between art and, well, trauma and creating art, I think it can also be very harmful to assume that this is the only way that good art can be created and so to me i really want to question the reasons i write and also how perhaps different mediums might enable me to explore different parts of my life so i've been diving into tattooing recently which is another great passion of mine as anyone who sees me will know and i also love photography and i paint and sketch and dabble on a few other mediums. But to me, I see those other mediums more as crafts in the way that art theorists talk about them. I have a very clear concept of what I want to create when I embark upon the like artistic process. Whereas with writing and tattooing, I find that my ideas evolve as I enter that process, more similar to what Collingwood was describing about the unconscious nature of emotions when you begin a piece of art.
1: Wow, were you always an artistic person?
0: Ah, the classic, like (laughs) who needs (laughs) some nurture? And yeah, yeah, true to form, Prof Doyle would support me in saying that there is no trait that is purely from nature and from nurture, but I do attribute a lot of my the value I place in art and the enjoyment I derive from it from my mom. She was a piano teacher. Her piano studio is tattooed on my back and some of my earliest memories are begging to let her teach me piano. And so I started when I was three and I played for a while until I very suddenly decided that I wanted to explore other hobbies and I stopped. But I, I've been thinking a lot about this recently and true to form to Collingwood, how music is a language of its own. And sometimes I do wish I had continued playing piano so that I would have been able to speak to my mom in the language that we first shared. And I wonder what I lost from not continuing piano with her, but at the same time, I'm grateful for her. Encouraging me to pursue whatever artistic hobby or career that I was fixated on, yeah.
1: Yeah. So I guess in that sense, there's never any, like, pushback on you pursuing art or versus, like, traditional...
0: Right, yeah. You know, math, science or... Yeah, that's always been a tension in my life. I think my... The seated passion and advocacy for the arts has partially stemmed from the pushback that I have received... I don't want to overstate the pressure that was placed on me because I know that a lot of people have other pressures that constrain them to certain careers. And I think I was very fortunate that I was in a privileged enough position that I could pursue arts, but definitely culturally and societally, I was very much encouraged to continue with like STEM subjects in school when I initially showed interest in them and I think there's always the assumption that if you do well in school, you're gonna become a doctor, a dentist, a lawyer, the usual. And so, yeah, even amongst my friends and some teachers at school and my wider family, there has been a pressure for me to go into a career on that side of things. But again, I think my stubbornness and any sense of rebellion that I've ever <laughs> really had shines through in my desire to just really stubbornly pursue my dream, which is to teach English literature, yeah. Hmm.
1: Did you always know that was your dream?
0: yeah for as long as i can remember i've wanted to be a teacher i really do think that was because my mom was a teacher my brother is studying engineering and my dad's an engineer so you can never really run away from where you grew up but i think that that dream of mine has also been nuanced throughout the years by the teachers i've had so i knew i always wanted to teach english and then i had this incredible english teacher in grade eight well year seven and year eight who really encouraged me to keep writing like keep closely analyzing texts and tearing them apart to my heart's desires, and that made me want to teach English. And I think I think a lot of my favorite questions to explore in the arts just happened to surface through English, or they did at school, and that was why I was drawn to teaching English. These days, I'm really fascinated with the possibility of other forms of arts education, whether it's higher education in the arts, and slowly kind of looking towards whether maybe I want to teach Something in the arts at a, like, uni level. I'm very much on the fence about this at the moment because I'm laughing at my own indecision and inner crisis about this. And also incorporating some sort of counselling or therapy into my career in education, which is something I've always wanted to do. But I'm now realising I want it to, to be a bigger part of my practice from the start. Yeah.
1: Can you tell me about Adelaide and how you grew up?
0: Yeah, so Adelaide's the name of the, I call it a big town because it is just like a little town feeling, but the population is big enough that my friends told me that I cannot call it a town. So it's a small city that I call a big town. I think that tells you everything about the way I see it. When I describe it to Minurbans I say it's nestled between the beach and the bush. And by bush, I don't mean a single bush. I mean the landscape (laughs) in Australia, which is most similar to, I guess, like a low forest, uh, lots of gum trees where the kangaroos, the wallabies, the koalas would live. It's not quite as like dense as the forest or green. It's very dry, often very dusty. And that's the landscape I'm used to. And then on the other side, the beach. And I still maintain that South Australia, which is the state that Adelaide is in, has the best beaches in Australia. Any Australian from a different state would probably disagree with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: What is it in particular about Adelaide that you like so much?
0: Yeah, I, I'm always gravitated to the people. I think that's my answer to almost like every question about what is it about X I love. Mm. I grew up in Adelaide, like I was born there, raised there, lived in the same like house until I went to Minerva. And so to me, home Adelaide is familiarity. It's just childhood. It's my mom and all the memories that are tangled between places and people. I think every time I go back, my definition of poem becomes a little more nuanced. And I think this is a really common experience for a lot of Minervans, about how complex the idea of home can become. And for me, it's not necessarily when I'm away that I begin to question it, but more and more when I go back. And it's not at all because I'm falling out of love with the place or necessarily feeling like distance from the people. I'm really fortunate enough to have some friends there who I know I'm going to be friends with for the rest of my life. But I think my association with home and childhood has gotten a lot more complex to me in that I fear I'm always trying to go back to something that I left when I first left for Minerva, home that I associate with mum, with being a child and with mm-hmm. some certainty. And I'm not a, by definition, child anymore. I'm a 21, older and well, That's it. a joke. I am definitely not older my but yeah, mum's not there. When I am home, I live with a friend of mine. And so home is different every time I go back and I begin to realise I guess my place as an adult in the place that I only knew as a child, and what that different relationship might mean, not only for these short little visits home like now at the moment, but potentially forever when I return one day. Yeah. Wow.
1: Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's. Wow. Can you tell me about your first tattoo? Because that seems like.
0: I would love to. Yeah, yeah. This is something I love about tattoos, the way that they tell stories. And I think a lot about how I narrate my own stories, both in a written form, in a verbal form, and then thirdly, in the stories that my tattoos tell. (laughs) My first tattoos were two little icons on my ankles. I can't really see all too well, but have stuck around for a while, considering that they were done with pen ink and a sewing needle. I remember once a friend told me about, like, stick and poke tattooing, and so I cracked the pen open. And I used like the ink from that pen and I sterilized like a sewing needle in alcohol uh-huh. and so on my left ankle there's a little wave like an ocean wave and then on my right ankle there's a flame and these are arguably two of the most generic tattoos and I love them to pieces <laughs> because to me they came from poems I've always loved poetry that was the first kind of form of writing that I really I think took to heart mm-hmm. so the salt water tattoo is about the time that sorry this is a little long backstory but like in the early days when my mom was still being diagnosed with cancer one of the teachers at school that I was really close to I'd always kind of go into her office on the afternoon sit there and do my work or just chat with her and one day I was feeling like I was always I was more expressive in how upset I was I guess And um, she advised me to go to the beach um, it was really stormy that day and she said you know like let your salt water join its own because I was bawling my eyes out as has become a theme of my eight years since so I wrote a poem about salt water and so that's sort of my left foot and the one on my right ankle which I did at the same time is about I think the defiance that I found through poetry in the coming years that I began to develop from that point so in contrast to the I guess flow of water the fire to me symbolizes this new determination I had through poetry to Reclaim my own voice amongst what I felt was a very uncontrollable situation. And I wrote a lot of poems about, like, my very self righteous (laughs) sense of social justice in those years. A lot of spoken word, which I haven't really touched a lot since. So that was the flame. I had a poem again about fire. So,
1: We've got to include pictures of (laughs) Jesus. There are many. um...
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) How
1: how old were you when you did that? First one then. Uh, 14. Sorry. Hmm. Wow. The way you tell it, it seems very spontaneous of just, I learn about this silver school doings.
0: Yeah. I think there's a spontaneity to the way I'm driven to create. To me, creating has always been this urge. Just by nature of how I create, I don't really schedule time and sit down and write or tattoo or draw, I feel the need to really. And then I just have to kind of cram it into wherever that fits in my life. And so. I think this, once again, supports Collywood's idea that <laughs> part of the unconscious of emotional expression is that we can't choose the medium, so he thinks that an artist being like truly candid is drawn to a certain medium for a certain form of expression. And I guess that actually I haven't thought about it before in that way. That really, yeah, holds true for tattooing for me because It wasn't like tattooing was something I'd planned or been really fascinated with prior to completing these tattoos. But as soon as I had these ideas of these two symbols, I had already written about them. I wanted to translate it into something like a different medium. And the medium I needed in that moment was tattooing. Yeah.
1: Wow, yeah. Yeah. And how many do you have now?
0: I counted yesterday because we had a class about (laughs) tattoos in the 112 I think it was like 28 or 29. I always lose count because like I never know, this is one of my favorite questions. How do you, if I have a sleeve one day, does that count as like a one st- full, <laughs> deer, right? Is that, should one cohesive tattoo, if it's all connected or do I still count them individually and like, do I count the individual connector pieces as individual tattoos or are they connected to another piece well, guess favorite questions?
1: Maybe it's like, what's significant, like how you talk about the tattoos. If they each have their own individual stories, then they're all individual. But maybe if they all come together, they can also be one big tattoo as well. I want to go back to that, what you said in the intro, which is that you love the way stories bring us together. Yeah. And so what what does that mean to you?
0: Yeah, so... Oh, it means everything. Uh, <laughs> honestly, I think it's the connecting thread between everything I'm most proud of that I've done, everything that I want to do, everything that I am doing that I'm most passionate about now, and the way that I see the world. So... <laughs> I am so interested in art theory that I always think about like how all these theories really come together. Like what is the uniting principle that I find so attractive in, you know, reparative reading, in artist expression, in poetry, and artist experience, which is dewey. And I think the underlying kind of key to all of it for me is a theory of art as a relationship. And I've begun kind of fleshing this out very slowly and I really want to work on it like quite seriously one day. But to me, it's the idea that art is facilitated by and the facilitator of human relationships. And that's the underlying motive behind why I create art and behind the pieces of art that resonate most with me, that they create relationships. And that's why I create art. When I say that I love the way stories bring us together, what I mean is that I am so fascinated by the potential of art to bridge these gaps be it through like novels and these like serious long form creations or be it through conversations that we have, like the way that you've shared parts of yourself with me today and that I'm like sharing these stories, Mm -hmm. um, I feel creates this connection. And I think one of my goals is to reach this form of deep connection. And one of my favorite ways to do that is through storytelling in different mediums. And so stories bringing us together just unites two of my, yeah, my twin passions in art and its capacity to tell stories and bringing people together, which is all about like love and connection and really getting beneath the surface of our everyday interactions, I think. Yeah.
1: I really like this last thing you wrote here about like being yellow and then...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, to me, that really captures the way it changed in recent years, yeah. Do you wanna? Yeah. Talk about. That? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Headlifty.
1: I'm gonna ask it in a weird way though. to yeah. ask about. So, I know you're writing a book.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which is <laughs> wow. First of all, <laughs> maybe without giving away too much about the book itself, and are there particular parts of it that you really, really like and are really proud of?
0: Can I give yeah. a brief overview of the book? Yeah, of of I a couple of, of us into this. Awesome. So this book I'm still working on my elevator pitch, never nailed back down (laughs) that's (laughs) 50 But it's about this girl in the multiverse who loses her mother in this original universe before finding out about her mum's continued existence in these other iterations um of the multiverse. And so over the course of the book she's visited by these alternate mothers through using the multiverse as a very loose plot device, uh draws parallel between the different ways in which our reality can be distorted, modified, and questioned in our one universe. Whether it's through like experiences with like religion, drugs, travel, or like changes in our life. And through this I explore like the different I guess perspectives on motherhood and childhood and grief and love and the way that those are all intertwined. And so this is what I mean by Collingwood and me that <laughs> I can yeah. uh, how many times to say Collingwood teeth. take a shot or she's <laughs> like probably gonna reach 100 by the time i finish my book it's to he's a character in the book obviously not as a living breathing human being but she brings up his theory a lot because she is in many ways analogous to me it's a very like fictional non-fictional autobiographical biographical whatever i don't know how to describe it yet i'm still working that out but yeah i'm i'm just really proud of myself for actually getting to a first draft because i'm really bad at finishing projects. I'm really good at starting them with a lot of excitement, and enthusiasm, and just kind of tapering off. But like my project about love, but I always <laughs> step back with that. But I think in particular, I'm really proud of the way it's enabled me to see how I've changed over the past year and eight months, which is the time it's been since my mom passed away. And that's the time in which the book is set as well. And it uses her death as The measure of time, which is a theme that I talk about in the book, that how I measure everything by this pivotal event in my life. And it's just something I constantly come back to both as a story in my art and in my everyday experiences, I just see how it's affected me in so many ways that I'm learning about it every day. And so one of those ways in which I've changed, I think is captured in a line that i always think of it's something that someone else said and in the book it's something that one of these alternate mother characters sense and so i was talking to this girl at work when i first started at the bookshop and i asked her what her favorite color was and we laugh about this now because i am and i was so awkward and she told me it was forest green and i told her mine was a warm yellow like winnie the pooh and she said hers used to be yellow but she had since gotten less sunny and I think a lot about that exchange because there was a period where I too also started to feel less drawn to the color yellow. And I know it sounds like such a shallow thing to place so much of your identity in like the vibe of a color. But a couple of years ago, I genuinely felt that I was no longer this like warm yellow Hufflepuff that I used to be. And this freaked me out more than it should have because I cared so deeply about how other people perceived me and expected me to be. And so although I am beginning to reclaim my love of yellow, I am learning that I don't have to wear yellow all the time, both metaphorically and literally, and that I can change and that I'm expected to change. And that I don't always have to be this happy, cheery one to be loved, essentially. And that happiness doesn't have to be this baseline that I'm always trying to get back to. And I'm learning to find different ways to measure the value of my life and my purpose that aren't tied to being the happy one, yeah, the yellow one.
1: So right now you're interested in looking at art and therapy and education
0: right yeah yeah yes <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: What, what what specifically
0: so i've always been interested in um teaching as i mentioned and then as i fell more and more in love with art to realize that that was what i gained so much fulfillment from i wanted to share that passion with others and inspire them as my english teacher that i mentioned had inspired me and now the kind of third read in that for me is counseling and therapy which I've always known I have wanted to be a part of my future alongside teaching not only because of my own experiences with like counseling and the way that it's changed the way that I think but also because of the way I see it play out with art for me as well mm-hmm. uh, all of these are really kind of tangled up with me and I find it very difficult to separate out because when I think about art I think about mental health and I think about my relationship with different medians and the way that they helped me in the process of grieving. And so I really want to devise some sort of like theory in which I can bring together the idea of the meaning making in tattooing and the ritual process of it as m- mapping that onto the process of grieving and how that can enable us to create a narrative around loss that facilitates, I guess, the acceptance of or the finding peace. I could never quite find a right word to talk about where the grief process should lead, because I think it's different for everyone and it comes and goes in waves. And I don't think there ever really is an end point, but that's because there isn't an endpoint to love. And I really do see grief as a love story told backwards. Someone once said to me, "Grief is the luxury of love," and that's really stuck with me. So I'm really interested in exploring how those three might be intertwined. And I've just started, and I've just started a diploma of counselling on the side as of this week, fueled by my new intense excitement to learn more about the grief process and the role of art in counselling. And so I want to learn about it more from this counselling and therapy perspective as well. And then on the other side, to learn more about tattooing as a ritual and process, both artistically and academically. Those are my two parent areas of, like, research, and so I'm looking forward to uniting them in both practice and writing one day, yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I just, sorry, I'm just, like, going no, no, no. away a bit.
0: Yeah, and still it still wasn't made at all. Yeah, I'm very much still working it out, all out in my head. I think this is something that's really come a lot clearer for me in the past week or so as, I don't know, like, honest or vulnerable I can be in this, but... I, I mean, I think it's important context that like a couple of weeks ago I had for the first time, I think a really like intense period of anxiety that really pushed me to reach out for help and to think more consciously about like the strategies I use when approaching my mental health. And this has also made me really reevaluate my relationship with art. And as as I alluded to earlier, like the relationship between trauma and art, Mm -hmm. um, as I've been writing a lot less in these last couple of weeks, which to be perfectly honest, terrifies me because writing is usually how I cope with things. And now that I've started like medication for anxiety, whether it's placebo or like a genuine effect of it, what really is the difference? Um, I have been, I felt less of that urge to write that I spoke about earlier. So I'm Mm. thinking a lot about that lately. So all these thoughts are very much swirling around in my head as I attempt to put them into words that make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: Yeah. How much do you see yourself changing? Maybe over, like, if you compare who you are now yeah, to who you were a year ago, to yeah. who you were five years ago, do you see that as a very different person? And then also extending that to the future, do you see yourself still changing in the moment? And do you think the person you'll be in a year is going to be very different or mm-hmm. maybe just an older version of you right now?
0: Uh, I think even... In comparison to who I was a month ago, I could tell you how I've changed. Mm. Uh, Diva, um, when I was tattooing a lockup onto her, once said that it contained like all the past divas inside it. And she talks a lot about how her tattoos represent different versions of her. And that's another thing I love about tattoos is that we're always in this state of change. And so they remind us. I guess, start the lessons and values that we held in the past. But for me to bring it back to that analogy about the color yellow, uh, I think my favorite color has always been yellow. Like take this metaphorically, my favorite color has always been yellow in a way that even when I would say my favorite color is forest green, I always knew deep down that my favorite color was yellow. It was just a temporary favorite color. And I knew that like all the clothes or stationery that I bought that was dark green, it wasn't going to always be the colour of my life. It was just temporary and I knew that one day I would return to my love for this warm pooh bear shade of yellow. And so in the same way I see myself as having the same values for as long as I can remember and I really attribute that to the community in which I grew up. I don't think I've spoken as much about community as takes up space in my mind and heart in that I am the product of a really close-knit community both at school and like my family that I grew up in and now at Minerva and at the bookshop in between school and uni. And so I think community is one of these values for me. Another one is that sense of connection that I described, and along with connection, the openness and vulnerability that go along with it. But I'm beginning to nuance my understanding of these values, and I think that's how I've changed. So to take connection, for example, in these last two weeks, kind of trying to process everything around, like beginning to take medications and definitely not feeling myself most of the time, I've learned to be a lot more transparent with the people around me to communicate very directly, I'm really, really bad at reaching out for help. And I've realized that very recently, and it's something that I'm laughing on. And so that to me connects both to connection and communication and to vulnerability, which I see as its own brand of strength. And so, yeah, I see myself as constantly changing and I am really excited to witness myself, continue to grow and to change. I think a lot about adulthood and childhood and what it means to kind of move from threshold of one to another and now being in that liminal college bound space in between those two kind of descriptors and what that means. Kind of looking at both of them from this distant view, but I think as much as I am open to change, I also want to remind myself to hold on to certain values and memories of moments that have made me who I am and to never lose sight of them. As I continue to grow, I also want to remind myself to hold on to certain moments, memories, and lessons I've led. Um, to me, that's part of what these tattoos that I've chosen to put on my skin are about. Um, I can see the lily and remind myself of the love that my mom had for me and that I want to show others. And yeah, I wrote in my book that my mom prepared me for her death as well as she ever could have. I want to hold on to the lessons that she's taught me in a way that still allows me to grieve without losing sight of my own life and, and the own person that's becoming, but to remember all the influence that she had on me. And I think that's one part of grief for me is finding the line between the two. Man, good
1: night. Good night. Uh, can we go to the last night closing? Yeah. Final question to you is what word would you pick to describe where you are in your life? right now
0: one of my favorite words at the moment liminal we think of liminal as a space in between victor turner first wrote about it from van Gennep's idea of the ritual and how rituals have this initial stage of like immersion in the previous world and then you have this liminal state of ritual in which is suspended between the previous state and the final state and then you have the aggregation with the final state of the world but it's this liminal stage in ritual that really fascinates me because it is from this vantage point that I think we have the most perspective on both of these worlds kind of suspended. um, I guess flying air travel is a really key example of a liminal space, but I'm also very fascinated by not only the physical liminal spaces, but emotional liminal states. And so I think right now I'm in this emotional liminal state between, I guess, who I was before the last couple of weeks dealing with, um, I guess, the role of anxiety in my life and adjusting to this new normal for myself but i also see college as a generally very liminal state especially when you're living in seven different countries yeah
1: yeah wow okay so many wise thoughts i i'm like
0: it's just a-h just peek into (laughs) it
1: if i had to describe you in one sentence it might be like the embodiment of age (laughs) i don't know how much
0: i I hate everything i inspire to be (laughs)
1: Wow. Okay. Thank you so much for this. This is, I feel like I've gone so much out of listening to you <laughs> talk about this and maybe you've inspired me to take an AH course.
0: That's my goal. And,
1: and definitely do more.
0: I'm glad both if you ever want to create art together. This goes out to anyone. Let me know. I love collaboration. Collingwood does too.
1: <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> the only notion that they about Yeah, Collingwood does too
0: (laughs) Collingwood seal of approval (laughs) yeah but no genuinely I think he would I I could write an LO appendix about the application of his theory to this interview because I've learned so much about myself and my artistic process and emotional expression through the questions that you've asked and the thought that it's provoked to me so thank you so much for this opportunity
1: I'm very glad to have you on thank you thank you Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and automatically get notified about new episodes on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at humansofminerva.podcast for the latest updates and announcements. Finally, special thanks to Lillianne for working her magic on this episode. Thanks for listening to Humans of Minerva.